Hello and welcome to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. My name is Connor. And my name is Jason. Every few episodes, uh, we want to take the time to respond to questions or comments that you have. And so you can reach us at amazedandperplexed at gmail.com. Or if you know us personally or don't know us personally, find us on Facebook or send us a text. Just any of your uh, questions or your maybe sense of, hey, let's dive deeper into this. We'd really appreciate knowing uh, what God is doing in you as a result of our work together. And today, the passage we're going to look at is in Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what amazes me about this passage, I don't know if you've ever had this this sort of feeling in your life, Jason. My sense is everybody's had this feeling. When you read the Bible and you see the things that the disciples experience or that the people around Jesus experience, there's this deep sense of, well, man, I, you know, I wouldn't have a problem believing in Jesus. I wouldn't have doubts if, if I saw what they saw or experienced what they experienced. And you get to, you even get to, you know, the arrest of Jesus before he's crucified. And you look at Peter and you go, man, he, he had seen so much. He had literally walked on water. He had been with Jesus every step of the way. And yet he still doubts. He still doesn't fully believe, or there's still some sort of tension there. And there's this deep feeling inside of all of us. Maybe we even give voice to it that if I saw what they saw, if I experienced what they experienced, then man, I would have no problem believing. I would have no problem doubting. What I love about this passage and what amazes me about this passage is John the Baptist is the same person who baptized Jesus and the literal heavens opened up and he heard the voice of God declaring the truth over who Jesus was. This very question that John is sending his people to ask Jesus, the God of the universe verbally tells him the answer to it. And yet, and yet John is still like, man, I don't know. Like I I still need some confirmation. And I don't know about you, Jason, but so many times I've just begged God to give me a voice from above to, to answer the question. And it's such an amazing thing and an amazing reminder for me that man, even sometimes when I get those moments or when I get a comparable moment, maybe it's still not going to be enough to quell all my desires or all my doubts, I should say. That is so good. One way I think about this is how do I define Christian maturity? How do I know if I'm doing well with Jesus, with believing in God, with walking with the Spirit? And a lot of times I think I assess how well I'm doing based on what is my confidence level in God working in this particular situation. And and that's not a bad thing. Well, I want to be confident that God can work in all things, but I will be brutal to myself I when I when I realize I haven't been or I'm not being. And so 
I love when this shows up in scripture. I, I think that's, I don't know that I even put that together, but you're absolutely right. This has already been answered. You know, John the Baptist, unlike any other, had been there front and center when this was answered. This is my son, you know. And so I think that that is uh, just a truly amazing dynamic and liberating to me. You know, it's just very liberating to me. Um, the thing that amazes me about the text is it's kind of a, um, a, a summary of here's why you should believe. And and if you if we're to dive into each one of these things, here's what happens for the dead. Here's what happens for the blind. I we can find even spiritual implications to each of them. Now the physical is enough, um, but the idea that he is coming bringing freedom and and it's just it's really summed up so well. It's Jesus' own thesis for why you should believe. And and I would I would add to that. It's interesting he makes a purely physical appeal. That's interesting to me. It's not perplexing. I think what's amazing is he understands the asker. <laughs> and and it's not just John the Baptist that's asking, but I think in general he's dealing with people that, that are like us in the sense that you can talk all day long, but when I have a memory of you healing a person in front of me, that should speak differently. Now, as you said, I don't think there's enough miracles you could witness that will overcome your own doubt. You're going to have to reach a point, no matter what God's done in your life, that you're going to say, I just will trust you on this. Uh, and it's my belief that God will keep pushing us until we reach that space. Yeah, you know, the question that really pops into my mind is, why does John the Baptist feel this way? Like, why mm. is he seeking this proof? Why is he? Why does he feel the need to ask Jesus this question and get to the bottom of this, even if he if he he like he'll remember the the question being answered why is why is doubt starting to creep in in this particular moment the the best explanation that i can come up with and that i, I i've heard for why john the baptist feels this way is because Jesus is not meeting the expectations that John the Baptist has from the messiah john the baptist who jesus will later go on to say is the greatest human <laughs> to ever live better than Moses, better than David, better than all these other people. John the Baptist is this fantastic guy. And yet it's very clear that John the Baptist did not have the absolute correct view on what the Messiah was going to come and physically do here on earth, which is just a mind blowing perspective that the greatest person, you know, <laughs> the greatest person isn't going to know exactly how God is going to enact his will. And so John the Baptist, like all Jews during his day, was expecting the Messiah to come and establish a a very like earthly kingdom to overthrow the Romans, to establish the new order, the new way of doing things and establish God's kingdom like physically in that moment. And you have to wonder for John the Baptist, as he heard about the ongoings of Jesus' ministry, he was, he was waiting for him to meet those expectations, right? For there to be certain guideposts that Jesus would hit. And what I love about this is you, you get this sense that the thing that is like John has heard the factual evidence, right? That Jesus is the Messiah from the father himself, but yet the unmet expectations in the heart of John are causing him to question those facts. And what's really interesting is that it feels like this is a heart issue, right? That this is a, um, that this isn't lining up to what I expected or what I wanted. And like you said, Jesus responds purely with facts and, and I am doing these things. And if you go back, all these things are things that were foretold of the Messiah. And it's really interesting that Jesus responds that way. It is. I, I, yeah, I love I love 
this dynamic, and even in Jesus' phrasing at the end, the fact that he's aware, it's such a weird statement, um, that he's aware that someone would stumble, will stumble Stumble what? You know, stumble over what? Stumble on their way to heaven, stumble in believing. Uh, and then to say, uh, you know, you'll be blessed if you don't lose your faith because of Jesus, which is such a funny, funny statement. But I do think, and, and this is the intricate nature that Jesus deals with all of us. Now, we don't think so often, but how personalized this this experience is. He knows John needs something, and he also knows that he needs to, um, there's a challenge in that last one, even though it's an odd, oddly phrased, uh, statement is that, Hey, be blessed by not falling away because of me. And he's just said, I'm the one that's doing all these things. It's interesting. Not only had, had, um, John experienced, you know, the baptism, but later when they come to John and, and they're asking him, you know, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And John has to own, I'm not the Messiah. He says, you're the Lamb of God. So this is so us. And here's the way I would think about it is, I tend to have faith based on precedent. And that's a sad statement to make. In other words, if I know from person to person, if I know that you came through and paid me back a debt, I will probably lend to you. But now if you have a different kind of ask, I don't know what that what trust you would need. And some, I will have to think through that differently. You know, and I think we're the same with God is if we've seen God work in an area of our life, we're like, yeah, I can trust him with that, but there's always going to be a new area. And again, I think that's by design. I, I think God, God knows that if we only trust by what we've seen, we will truly not trust at all. Um, and that's really, really important because he is so different than us. He's so far above us. Uh, and so I think this this pushing, uh, think about it this way. What work was God doing on John the Baptist by keeping him there in prison? And then having really struggling, and then I would say, you know, credit to John for being honest. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like when you think about it, if you were in the place of John the Baptist, what are you going to like? What like if you could just put yourself magically there, what are the questions you're going to ask Jesus? Well, you know, the Messiah is supposed to come and liberate the captives, right? Liberate people from from prison. You'd have to like my question be like, hey, Jesus, are you going to come and, you know, liberate me? Am I going to be set free from <laughs> from this prison? Um, what it like? How is this going to currently affect me? And that John is so open. He's so real. Um it really amazes me. And I think one of the things that Jason and I both feel passionately about, right, is getting to this mindset of being able to be open and real with the struggle, right? Because we we both agree that this is how God has chosen to work in humanity, has chosen to work in our hearts. And the the natural instinct of somebody, of any human, and yeah, even especially Christians, is to hide those things, to be ashamed of what I'm I'm supposed to have the answers. I'm supposed to know what's going on. You're not supposed to know what's going on. You are supposed to know, or you get to know that Jesus has come to earth for you, died for you and loves you. And is in a, has a desperate desire for a relationship for you. 
that's what you get to know. You get to know the ultimate truth that ultimately God wins and ultimately his will is being done, but you don't get to know the specifics. And that's the really hard part. It is. It reminded me that idea of we don't know and we're not supposed to know is so important because I think in Christianity in general, knowledge has been so esteemed over relationship with God that to even admit, I, I can remember 20 years ago, somebody in this first time I remember saying it, man, when you say, I don't know, that's not an evil thing. And you're saying that's so stupid. Why would saying, I don't know, be an evil thing? It's because it had been framed as an evil thing. You know, not knowing was a cardinal sin. Well, not trusting was the, or, or having any level of doubt was the cardinal sin, maybe, and then not knowing would be a secondary. And, and I think this is not presented in the Bible. And, and we see it again and again with the apostles. We're not even dealing with the apostles' response in our conversation right now. Um, but they didn't know where to put this. You know, that brings me to what perplexes me about this. And, and you you touched on this. If you were to set a scene up, I have cancer, let's say. I have cancer, and you, my friend, Connor Bryant, uh, suddenly are given the ability to heal all people. And I hear about it. And I hear about you going to, I don't know, oncology or, you know, just you're going through ICU and healing people, healing people, healing people. And I don't hear from you. And I am dying of cancer, I would probably want to know, what are you thinking? Like, do you know? And so I would probably send you a signal, but because of, I don't want to seem too entitled, I might say something like, hey, Connor, I heard you can heal a lot of people. Is that true? You know, now you can say John the Baptist isn't human, and I would say you're wrong. You you could say John the Baptist Baptist never has a thought like this, and maybe you're right. I, I can't say definitively because I can't read his mind. But if John the Baptist is human, it has to cross his mind. I don't like being in jail. No one thinks, oh, I hope I die here, you know. And so he hears Jesus' power. Now, John doesn't know that Jesus can free, free people from prison simply because it hasn't been done. But if John's thinking this is God in the flesh, then he has to think Jesus could do anything. And so there's almost... Uh, he's a cousin. I don't know how relationally close they were, but certainly as, as you've mentioned, you know, they have these connections, the, the dis disinterest almost of Jesus. He answers the factual nature of it. Like, are you the one who came? Well, what signs would you expect to see? Like, you know, blind people seeing, would you expect that dead people raised? Got it. Don't fall away on account of me. And is that a signal that Jesus is sending and saying, I'm not coming for you. And that, to me, is the hardest lesson as a Christian. When you say it is hard for many Christians to say God is all-powerful and he loves me because they prayed their brains out, their hearts out over things they really wanted, and those things didn't come to pass. So that's, that, there, there's an interesting question there. I had never even thought about this, but the subtext of this message, this question that John the Baptist gives, it, I mean, it very well could have been a subtext of, like, you're the Messiah. Are you coming to save me? And you, you do, I never even thought about that. What, okay, in, in the position of John the Baptist, we can't know that that was, that's for certain what he was thinking or that was the purpose. But if that is the subtext, which, man, it seems so human, it seems so right. Um, and Jesus basically gives a subtext of, you know, I am the Messiah, um, but maybe I, I'm, I'm not coming right now to, to rescue you. How, man, how do you think John, how do you think John the Baptist took that? that shook his worldview or even. 
I don't know. I have an illustration popped into my head. And then I'm like, it's of someone I love close to me. So, so anyway, so this stranger I once met, the stranger that I live with, and anyway, that people call my wife. Uh, no, so, uh, you know, the because of COVID, lost a job, and they found out that recently that they brought back a lot of people, but not them. You know what I mean? Now, at face value, this person is doing an outstanding job of saying objectively. That's fine. I get it. Even a strong rationale why other people should get a privilege that they haven't gotten. Okay. So on one hand, the objective human self says, okay, that's fine. You know what I mean? But then there's a part that says, wait a minute, there's an injustice here. I I have worked just as hard. I have done just as much. I deserve the chance just as, as highly as anybody else. And I just, you have to make John inhuman that he's not experiencing some of that. Even if objectively he can breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, good, he, he's living up to what I thought he was. And, and that's another question. Was Jesus doing things? This speaks to what you're saying before that were already disappointing him. But the timing of it, why doesn't he get this request before John went to prison? The timing of it says to me, John's struggling. Because we now they didn't have the American dream. I don't know if they had a a Palestinian dream or an Israeli dream or whatever. But I think we think if I'm a good Christian and then we throw in a little bit of the American dream, then things will continually get better. And here's a very stark, harsh truth. The majority of people that walked with God in the Bible, things did not get better. You'd have a hard time convincing me that David's life got better as he aged, that Moses' life got better as he aged, that John the Baptist's life got better as he aged. You know, none of the apostles, their life got better by any human standards. There was no retirement. There was no relaxation. If anything, it got harsher. And, And I think that we unknowingly, or maybe we just turn a blind eye to the fact that we weave our Christianity in with the American dream, and we think good Christians, things will get better. You know, just if I just keep putting my time, my life will get better and better, more comfortable and more at peace. And I think that's why a lot of I was reading an article today about people that as they age, they get so angry and bitter. And I think that's I, th- I see that in Christianity and, and I'm blessed at Memorial. There's a lot of people that are older that aren't doing this. Uh, but I do think it's a huge temptation to think, well, if my expectations weren't met, then what's the point in the first place? Yeah, I think what I think what you said about you know, the American dream getting wrapped up in, in Christianity. I mean, this is, we're not the first people to say, to, to comment on this, but what really perplexes me about this passage, uh, it, it doesn't, the, the actual passage doesn't perplex me, but the fact that, that I never was never read this in the way that I, I think Jesus means it, it, it perplexes my, like my own take on it in verse, um, in verse five, it says the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed so far, like pretty sad people, the deaf here, the dead are raised. You don't get any sadder than dead than dead. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's really fat. It's, it's fascinating. And it's incredibly revolutionary that one of the signs that the Messiah is here, that this person is the Messiah, that the new, the good news is being proclaimed to the poor to the lowest of the low, the low, the people who have it worse in society. And this gets back to what you were just talking about. Um, you know, as <laughs> for the people from, from many people in the Bible, as they progress further into Christian maturity, their life in terms of earthly measures gets 
worse. And the fact that Jesus comes and proclaims the gospel to a group of people whose life already is really tough and are already going through really scary things, man, it, it it's just not, it's not the version of, of Christianity that I grew accustomed to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think so, so back to something we come to often is this is why we so desperately need the grace of God. I mean, it's just one more example, but it's so key that I think we are constantly assessing all the time. What is success today? And because most of the time, so many of my, how do you, how would you say that? I'm not integrated. I have success as a, as a, maybe you think of it as a role, as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a coworker, as a whoever, you know, uh, or maybe you think about it in terms of focuses. I'm experiencing success in self-discipline. I'm experiencing success in um, accomplishing things, whatever it is, you know, but it's our, our perspective, our paradigm is rarely integrated like, like Jesus would want it to be like he wants it for us in the sense that everything is about Jesus nothing is outside the scope of Jesus. So if you've got a tremendous golf game, um, I can, I refer to that because I don't know what that means. Uh, having never played, but if you have a tremendous golf game, there's something, I think it means you're rich and white. Oh, there you go. go. I, but if you do, or Tiger Woods, yeah, Tiger Woods, there you go. Um, but if you do, then there's something that God's doing in that, that Jesus is wanting to show you in that. Um, if you're experiencing a pandemic right now, there is something Jesus wants to show you in that. And and we want to become more integrated in seeing that as one thing, not separate things. Okay. And the reason that's important is we tend to have, we don't do a lot of thinking of what we expect. Matter of fact, I remember when we'd send AIM students to the mission field. So they, they're going someplace for a year and a half, working with this family, jumping into a church situation. We'd always talk about what are your expectations? Everyone would say, I don't have any expectations. And I'm like, oh, you were the biggest liar ever, 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 ever. You just don't know yet. And the reason you know you have expectations, the same when people get married. No, we just, we're going to be awesome together. I don't have any expectations. And then you have your first fight. And what should dawn on you is, oh, I have a lot of expectations. And the truth is all humanity does. And I think that's the key is when we can really, I'm trying to bring this point back together. When we're integrated and think Jesus will fulfill all that's needed, my day-to-day expectations might not even be what I want and certainly might not be what's best for me. And so when something fails, I immediately put it into, oh, this is something Jesus is going to teach me, you know, through this. In the same way that I believe John would say, okay, he gets that news. He's like, okay, he's told me the facts. I am confirmed. And the message there is I'm where I need to be. Don't quit trusting in him as the Messiah. If John is in a place where I have my view of what the Messiah is supposed to be. And he's going to be this person. I've built him up and he has to be this way. What Jesus says will not penetrate the heart of John. If John is set in his own ways and he, there is no other possible interpretation. There's no other possible way than his way. Then whatever Jesus says to him will not make an impact. Just like for you or me, if our expectations for how God is going to do something, even if God sends, a, sends us a thousand signs or points us directly to the passage of scripture that we need to read, if it doesn't line up with our expectations and we're not willing to be wrong, willing to be vulnerable enough to admit that we could possibly be wrong, 
then it, it's just not going to penetrate. And I think about my own life. How many times have I begged God to reveal something to me or asked God for evidence of, of something or wanted some form of confirmation of, of, of that this is the correct path that I'm going down. So many times I think I've shut myself off to the voice of God because if God is not working in the narrow parameters that I have set him up that he's supposed to work in, then if there's work going on outside of those parameters, outside of that path, then that can't be God. That's got to be some other outside force. And man, when we try to limit God and put him on a singular path that we have created, it, it just, it's ludicrous. And we know it's ludicrous. The idea if we say it out loud to ourselves, it's really silly, but it's about putting ourselves in the mindset of when these opportunities come, when these moments come where somebody is coloring outside of the lines, when that somebody possibly could be God, are we mature enough? Are we smart enough to realize how dumb we can actually be in certain moments? The price of admission to work with Jesus is humility. And I think the beatitude starts it out, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's that realization, I have nothing to offer Jesus. And, and see, when, I, when an expectation in me is revealed, what, what I'm saying to myself is this is what I deserved. In other words, I brought something to the table, so I deserve this kind of payoff. So when you start saying in those words, you're like, wait a minute. I'm coming to the creator, the one that created my very body, and I'm saying you owe me? Uh, he's given me everything. Like, how can you owe? And, and and there's the human part that we have to keep catching up to our ideals. And, and so he's patient with that. The thing that, that always, well, back to what you were saying about if you only can, God can work, he can work any way he wants, as long as it's per my expectations. If, if you just, another way to say that is I'm God and God works for me. Mm. Now, when I say it like that, because I do sometimes, I'm like, if only Heather, my wife, would do this, this, and this. And then when I step back, I'm like, okay, so I'm saying, God, I want you to work on my marriage, but only if it's the way I want you to do it. And then I'll force myself to say, so I'm God, and you, God, should do what I say. Now, when I say that, it has a very different feel. And it's almost impossible to give other people grace, right? Because if if God if God is strictly working on my path and in my way, then how could you possibly know what God was up to? Because he's he's doing it my way he's doing it he's doing it the connor way and you know it's one of those things we always like i i'm sure on my second to last day of life on this earth i'm still gonna struggle with this in some sort of way but it's just being able being able to check yourself and having people in your life that um can be honest with you enough to to not not to call you a dummy but just to be real with you to help you recognize um the ways that god is working that you can't see one of the, the dangerous things about when we try to put God into a box or when we try to make God color inside the lines, the picture that we can paint, the picture that we can draw is only so big. I can only be so smart and I can only be so brilliant. I can only be so compassionate, which on my best days, I think are, I think it's a lot on my most honest days. I recognize it's modest at best. The sad thing about life is I feel like a lot of Christians they have this grand plan for how they want God to work in their life. And it's just, it's not enough and it's not worth giving your life for. But the truth of the matter is God has a vast tapestry of work that he wants you to be a part of. He wants to plug you into. And when we allow ourselves to do that, we might not even know what is happening. 
in terms of the grand scheme of things. John the Baptist, he probably went to his death not knowing that the cross was coming, not knowing what the ultimate destiny of, of the Messiah was going to be. And that's okay. And the same thing is true for you and I. It's okay if the most important thing that you are doing, the most important thing that you are a part of, if you don't know the ultimate purpose of it in this exact moment or even until you die, that's okay. That's how it's supposed to go. That is that is a tremendous point. And, and I think... There's always a cost. If you think about the people you know in the Bible, Joseph, not till maybe the end, would he not have traded immediately to go back and just be part of his father's household, to not lose all those years being with his father and his younger brother? He would have immediately traded that. Certainly John the Baptist didn't anticipate, well, I hope this ends in a disgusting jail where I'm beheaded. Like, like nobody wants that, you know? So there's always a cost. And I would venture to guess, I, I would love if we found the lost interviews where you'd interview Peter, you know, the first day he met I'm Jesus. imagining like a sort of like the office sort of thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the cutaway. That's, that's what I want the next shows to show, but I need it to be real. So however you'd, you'd find that reality view, but, but but, but that idea of this was nobody's plan. In, in Acts 1.8, I just always oh, go back good. to this, is that Jesus says clearly it'll start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You would think those 11 apostles, and then you add in the new, new apostle, that would be the only thing they're thinking. And they don't seem to be thinking about it at all. Matter of fact, it, it is safe to say that they would have just stayed in Jerusalem had persecution not broke out. And furthermore, the only ones to not leave Jerusalem were the people that received the mandate that it was going to go out. Why are they not doing the Paul thing? And then you have people like Peter who are trying to limit, like trying to limit, like who can be a part of this religion. Like, exactly. Yeah. It, and so, so it's just one of these things that, and and God was so patient with them, so graceful with them. He wasn't hammering them because he's going to get his job done. The question is, will I choose to participate? Yeah. And you can look at, you can look at people like Peter or the disciples early on, and you can see how bad their plan was, how bad their plan was to just stick it out and hide out in this room. And yeah, so many times we can't see it in our own life. And we, and it, it, it breaks my heart when I go back and I look at opportunities that I have, I've glazed over, or I have just said, no, no, God couldn't possibly work in that. That what's really fascinating about the story of John the Baptist. And I think the story about a lot of people is a lot of times we feel like we have to have the factual evidence that if we get all the right apologetics down, if we get all the right answers down, then we'll be content then that'll be enough. But I think the story of John the Baptist, it, it, it shows us over and over and over again. Yeah, facts are really important. It's important that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's important that these things literally happened um, in at least some context. But just because something literally happened doesn't mean it takes a, a, a truthful hold on your heart. And I think that's the balance that a lot of Christians believe. We can believe with all our heart that God exists. But if that fact isn't grasping hold of our heart, then the fact is meaningless. It's, it's a useless statistic. It's a useless, it's a useless tool for us. One thing I always remind myself about this passage in particular, though it's true of all, all the time, God cannot not think eternal. 
<laughs> so God can only think eternally. In other words, he understands our time. He understands how our emotions are tied to time. For example, if someone died and then you spent six weeks without them and then they were raised from the dead, that six weeks would now seem like almost blessing, you know, because it was what made it. So think, think about right now, we're in a pandemic. We were around each other all the time, but when we get back to each other, we'll be really celebrating. Why? Because of the Oh, you know what's funny? The takeaway. I'll let you get back to your story. I had a dream the other night. This is terrible. That my wife, my wife Anna died, and it was just the sad. It, it was one of those dreams where like I was just going places and ugly crying, like you know, just you know, heaving and that sort of thing. It was it was really sad. And I woke up at the middle of the night, and like I just looked over my wife, and I, I just like scoot over, and I I, I we don't snuggle, like we're very we're not those people. And I was just like, oh my gosh, she's alive. And all it took was this dream for me to do that, but like. Two hours before that, I was like, she's pulling the covers again. Oh, my goodness. But after this dream, I'm like, this person that I love more than anyone in the world, like, she's her heart's beating. And, and I think that that's a perfect example of this fact that that if we when, when somebody dies to us, then we think, well, it's going to be forever till I see them again. You know, where the reality is, it won't be forever if you're in Christ it will be like a, a snap, you know, like all of time goes. So here, here's my point. As Jesus is interacting with John the Baptist, he knows a truth, and it's this. So let's say, you know, John is beheaded. I don't know where he loses consciousness, you know, and that not to be too more bitter gross, but his next waking thought is, I'm with God, you know, and that made it all worth it. I, I don't think he, he's in heaven saying, man, I wish I would have died a better way. If anything, he's like, man, I'm so glad I died then so I could be with him now. And see, it's, it's, we're being on the opposite side of things. It's hard for us to understand that. But I think Jesus understood that. So even what I read as human disinterest, when I put it in the context of eternity, all of a sudden that makes a lot more sense. In other words, for Lazarus, I've always wondered about when you, when you raise Lazarus, is that the cruelest thing you could do to a human being? Now, I don't know. I don't know if Lazarus well, woke no, up to be a whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it's a fascinating dynamic, but I have to always remind myself, God can solely think eternally, like, mm. like in the same way that I think about anything that's just will be, you know, I, I can only think in time second by second. Man, what you said, thinking about eternally and John thinking about his own death when he, when he dies and he's in the presence of God. And eventually he, he sees the full plan that God has for humanity and what his cousin Jesus is, is doing and, and, and what the, the destiny that this Messiah is having and the saving that he's going to do, man, you have to imagine the sort of awe that John would have had. And even if John had known the bare bone facts, right. Of, okay, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to die and he's going to be raised from the dead. And, and this is what this is about. He's bringing, a, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven here and now for the Jews and the Gentiles, all the, all that great yada yada stuff. You, you do begin to wonder if John had been told those facts, if God had just given him a little notebook for what, what the plan was, would that have really sunk in for John? Is it the biggest blessing in the world that John got to go to heaven and see the full picture like we can't even see here and now and go, oh, that's what he's up to. You wanted the same thing with Moses, like Moses or anybody, you know, any anybody who was with God in the Old Testament once they die. And go, oh, that's this this redemptive plan for all of human history. 
my 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 country, my people, they're going to continually mess up over and over and over again. And you're going to keep giving us chances. and You're going to keep coming after us. And eventually it's going to culminate in this person who makes the ultimate sacrifice. Like that's the whole plan. And not even like I can describe it in a in a way, in a kind of decent way, but actually seeing it and, and seeing the whole plan for God, man, you, you begin to wonder, like you begin to wonder what, if that's your first experience of Jesus is knowing the plan and you, you get no, you get none of the biases of our culture. You get none of the, the negative, um, presumptions of, of Jesus, man, how beautiful is it to know know God in that context and you begin to wonder did they have it better than us did they did they did they have it I don't I don't know the answer to that uh and and I don't know the answer to that but what I what I do think Jason and I want to encourage you here with Jason and I are both people um that want to be open about our doubts um I'll just go ahead and say it and Jason can chime in if he disagrees or agrees I do not a hundred percent of the time believe in God there are moments in my life where it seems it doesn't seem real. Now, there are plenty of, mo- like, I don't even, I feel like that is such an important thing to say. I do believe in God. I believe that Jesus is the son of God, but I am not even going to qualify it even more than that. There are moments where I, I just, I don't believe. Yeah. And I think it, it's interesting because I think part of this goes along personality lines. I am, have always been, once I believed, I've never struggled with not believing, what I doubt is other people believing enough to make a difference in their life. So like, I don't, I, I have to work hard to trust Christians. So, so where my doubt shows up is God, are you really working in other people's lives the way you're working in my life? Which when I say that, it's like, how arrogant and judgmental are you? But, but that's where it shows up the most is because of my personality. I'm always, I'm not, my I'm glass all full pouring over, you know, and you're like, yes. there's nothing in the glass. Um, <laughs> so my personality tends to lean in and I, I think of myself, you know, like a comic book, I'm a true believer kind of thing. Um, but where my doubt really shows up is I, I guess it's twofold. It's what I first mentioned. And then the doubt in, I don't know if you're really using me and I will. So ultimately that's doubting God. I will justify it by saying, well, it's not doubting God it's doubting me, but God's the one who says he's going to use me. So I just need to own the fact when I say I don't doubt God, I doubt me. I'm doubting God. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are just grateful to share this journey with you. If you know anyone uh, that this might help, it would really bless us if you shared this with them. If you would subscribe uh, to Amazed and Perplexed, that would really bless us as well. Uh, we are just so grateful to God for the opportunity and would want this to go as far as he would want. And so understand that you'd be an important part of that for us. how I'm going to cut this to get this episode together. It was beautiful. It was messy and it was all sorts of all over the place, which is just what, what Connor and Jason like to do. Connor and Jason also like to talk in the third person because we're a little bit full of ourselves. (laughs)